Thank you, Pastor Mark. Good morning, Crossroads. It's a joy to be with you on this Lord's Day, to have the opportunity to open up God's Word to us with you all. We'll be looking at the book of James, so I know for for us we have to wait one more week yet to hear the end of our King's study. As a way of introducing our passage, I'd like to share just a little, little story with you. Um, this summer, I bought a new-to-me vehicle, new-to-me car. And I was, I was pretty excited about this car. And uh, so I'm driving it around uh, about a month into owning this car. A uh, light pops up on the dash. And the light says, maintenance required. Maintenance required. And I'm not really a, a car guy. And I'd actually never seen a, a dashboard light that said maintenance required. So when I hear the word required, I think like immediately necessary. I think like I need to deal with this right away or like my car's not getting from point A to point B. So I did what any intelligent person would do. I went to Google. I said, hey, Google, what does it mean when the dashboard light maintenance required comes on my Toyota 2008 RAV4 and Google does what it does best directed me to the answer, right? It sent me right to toyota.com. I could have gone there myself, but I wanted to use Google. And when I was on Toyota's website, I, I had the opportunity to, to access my owner's manual for my vehicle because it didn't come in a transaction when I bought the car, unfortunately. And upon reading this owner's manual, I come to learn that, well, this maintenance required light's more of a suggestion, I guess. Uh, mainly that it's, it's going to come on my dash at about every 3,000 miles, and it's going to tell me and, and warn me and remind me that I need to bring my car in for its regular maintenance, its oil change, uh, get all the fluids flushed, or you know whatever it's due for. And if I don't take care of my vehicle, if I don't bring it in and, and, or work on it myself, or have someone else who would actually know things about cars, then a worse light is going to appear on my dash, right? The check engine light, the dreaded check engine light. So today, our passage from James is, is going to operate uh, similarly to Toyota. It's, it's going to be sort of a, a, an owner's manual for our, our Christian life. And we'll be looking at James 3, 13 through 18. And in this section, James is inquiring of us to ask this question, what is the source of our wisdom. What is the source of our wisdom? And I, I think it would be helpful for us today, before we actually dive into the passage, to maybe define what James is going to mean when he talks about wisdom. Because we know that in our day and age, wisdom means something very different than what it probably meant back when James was using the word. So, to answer this question, we're going to look at the context, right? And, and all the, the youth students, when I say, why do we study context, you say, <laughs> because there's, the temple was filled with smoke. If, if uh, you want to hear a joke, ask one of our students, and they'd be glad to, to share a Bible joke with you. But we're going to look at the context today. We're going to look at the setting. We're going to look at our author and who he is talking about, who he's talking to here. So if you remember, way back when we studied uh, and started this 
uh, book of James, we learned that our, our author is James himself, and this is likely the, the brother of Jesus, who has risen up as, as a, an early church leader in Jerusalem, and the church there. And he's writing to primarily Jewish Christians. And these Jewish Christians have been dispersed now throughout the known world. So the, the hearers of, of this letter, these Jewish Christians, they would have been brought up in a very, very legalistic way of living. They, were, they grew up under the Mosaic law. And so now they're, they're in this process of reorienting their minds. Now, how do we live as Christ followers in light of Christ's death and resurrection? So with that context... What does James mean when he's referring to wisdom? Well, I believe he's using it in a way that his hearers would understand, right? That makes sense to us. So I think it would be helpful for us to look at Deuteronomy verses 4, or sorry, chapter 4, verses 5 through 6. So I'll I'll go ahead and and read that. If, If you'd like to turn there, you can. But I think this is what his audience is would have had in mind when he speaks of wisdom here. So this, this is uh, Moses. He's, he's talking to the Israelites. And, and he says this, See, I have taught you statutes and rules, as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them. Keep these statutes and rules. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the light of the peoples, who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. So I think this is what James's hearers would have heard. They, they would have understood this, uh, this word wisdom as, as meaning a way of life. They would have, they would have heard it as, as how they were living their lives in action to glorify God, to be in a right relationship with him under the Mosaic law. So according to these statutes and these rules. So James is is playing off of this view here. And and some Old Old Testament scholars have defined this wisdom as the skill of living rightly toward God. The skill of living rightly toward God. And so... I would suggest to you that James, he, he wants us to see that this is not head knowledge. This is not philosophy. This is a way of living in action. So today, let's use the definition of wisdom as wisdom is our informed way of living that should be seen and felt by those around us. James is going to help us diagnose our lives according to this source of wisdom. The way that we live, the thing that's informing our life. He's going to help us diagnose what is that in our life. So I just wanted to spend a a few minutes kind of orienting our mind to first the the book of James and and now also to our passage. Because I think this understanding of, of how James is using his language here will help us hear what the Lord is speaking then to us today. 
So let's read James 3, 13 through 18. I'd encourage you, if you have a Bible, turn with us there and, and follow along. Otherwise, the words are, are on the screen behind me. I'll go ahead and read now. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Church, this is the word of the Lord. The outline for today comes in three nice parts for us, all broken up into two verses apiece. So in verses 13 and 14, we have wisdom that warrants action. James is going to give two commands here, one positive in verse 13 and one negative in verse 14. And then in verses 15 and 16, we'll have wrongful wisdom sources and their effects their effects on our life. This will be the description of what wisdom is not. And then in verses 17 and 18, James will end with our heavenly, this heavenly wisdom that produces righteousness. So the results of walking in heavenly wisdom. So leading up to verse 13, James has been talking about the tongue. That was, that was our last uh, sermon in James, and we heard about the power of the tongue. And then in, in verses 11 and 12, James started to shift his focus to what is the source from which the mouth is speaking? What is the source? And, and he says, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. James wants us to look at the source. He wants us to look at the origin. What is the source, the thing that is informing our way of living? And now he asks us, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct. Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom by his good conduct. The first thing that James does is he says, if you think you are wise, then you need to show it by your actions. Show it by your conduct, not by your intellect, not by your philosophy, not by how many degrees you have or how many letters you have after your name or how many Greek words you may or may not know. If you can solve a calculus problem in your head, those are all great things and pretty impressive, but they can be disconnected from the heart. And what James is after here is he's after our authentic and genuine behavior in action. This phrase, by his good conduct, can also be translated by a beautiful life. By a beautiful life. So what fruit is being produced 
by the source of our conduct. Is it, is it beautiful? Is it seen in humility and gentleness by those around you? Now, let's, let's remind ourselves that the majority of James's hearers were converted Jews. These people who prided themselves on their head knowledge of Scripture. And James, he knows this. But what he's wanting to do is he's wanting to push them into action. He doesn't define wisdom here in theological terms, but in very practical ones, as we'll see later on in a few verses. If you're going to talk the talk, you must be able to walk the walk. If the, you're driving your car and a dashboard light comes on and it says it's the tire pressure light and you see that and you go, oh, I know what that means. That light means that my tire pressure is 10.247 PSI below what it should be. Well, that's great. But you are only wise if you actually go and fill up your tires with air, right? The same is true about our Christian life. By our good conduct or by the way we live day to day should be evidence that Christ is our source. James's characterization here of, of wisdom with the word meekness. To be clear here, meekness was not a sought-after trait in the Greco-Roman world. When he, when he was writing, they, they valued power and, and signs of, of honor and, and strength. I wouldn't really say it's meekness is valued in our culture either. It's probably looked at more as a weakness. Yet we're reminded here of Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. James will allude to this numerous times throughout the, the letter and multiple times throughout our passage today, where Jesus taught, Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. It's not the wealthy. It's not the powerful as we might logically think. So this characterization of, of meekness places this command of James in the context of a community. Where meekness should be seen. It should be seen and felt in, in actions of kindness and, and grace and peace toward one another. Again, things James will expound on here in a few verses. But the absence of this meek wisdom will produce disorder and dissension within our community. He'll, he'll expound on that again more in, in verse 16. But James, what he's doing now, he's putting the ball in our court. The responsibility is on us. Actions give evidence of wisdom. Wisdom here is not wise until it's seen and felt in our community. This makes us think back to chapter 2, verse 26, right? Maybe your mind has already gone there where James said, faith apart from works is dead. So, Christian, let's ask ourselves, do our actions show evidence of a heart that is serving the Lord out of meekness, out of a gentle and humble spirit. But James, he's, he's quick, he's quick to, to warn us, quick to warn his hearers about their actions in verse 14. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. 
See, this Greek word for bitterness here is the same word that James used in, in verse 11 when he's talking about the spring that, that pour, can pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water. That salt water is bitter water. And some of your translations will also note that. And in and, and doing so, we, we see this connection that James wants us to make in that the source of our wisdom is producing a fruit. We can't have both sweet conduct and bitter conduct. If the source is producing jealousy and self-centeredness in your heart, then this is James's negative command. Do not boast or keep your mouth shut. We, we hear echoes here, right, of, of the first verse of chapter 3 when he says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness, lest we preach the gospel, a false gospel, because of our conduct, because our source is contaminated. So James, he's calling us out here. He's warning us, if we are full of jealousy, if we're full of competition and Amongst our, our brothers and sisters, full of selfish ambition, selfish desires, then we're giving a false testimony to the wisdom or the, the truth that we're claiming to, to have. The gospel that we're proclaiming, we're being hypocritical of. If there is jealousy and selfish ambition present in your life, then there is an issue at your source. And if left undealt with, more issues will arise. This is us ignoring our maintenance required light on our dashboard. If we ignore it too long, soon we are going to have much bigger problems on our hands. Church, when was the last time that we confessed our comfortability, comfortability with jealousy or our friendship our selfish ambition, our, our drive. Has it been a while? If so, there may be a light illuminated on your dashboard. There may be an issue at the source. Is truth reigning supreme in your heart? Is it flowing out of you in humility and grace? If not, go back to the source. Run the diagnostics. And I, I would encourage you, for, for those of us who are prone to uh, be blind to our own weakness, enlist the help of a spouse, of a family member, of a friend. Trust me, they'll let you know where you're falling short. These are James's first two commands, a positive command and a negative command. And now James moves to contrasting this source, these Things that are informing our way of living. A, a heavenly source and a source that is not from above, that is not heavenly, that is earthly and unspiritual. Carrying on, just as he had said, bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, he says in verse 15, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic earthly, unspiritual, demonic. 
James already told us in chapter 1, if you remember, verses 5, what our source of wisdom is. He says in in verse 5, if anyone lacks wisdom, if anyone lacks this, this, this wisdom for how to live rightly with God in relationship to God, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. The source of our true wisdom is our heavenly father. That, that might not be a shocker, but, but I think we need to notice what James is doing here. He's intentionally making a stark contrast to convey his point. Could he just skip verses 15 and 16 and just jump down to, if we live by heavenly wisdom, then this will be the effects? No. His hearers need to see the difference. We need to see the difference because he's giving us our diagnostic tool. He's saying, for those who are seeing lights illuminated on your dashboard, as indicated in his first point, then your source is not Christ, or your source has been polluted. It's been contaminated. The sources of wisdom here are the sources that are not from above. They're, they're earthly, they're unspiritual, they're from demonic origins. These three characteristics, maybe you might recognize them more from the way Paul puts it in Ephesians 2, the world, the flesh, and the devil. It's the same same idea here. And we might note that James orders these in an ascending order of strength. All three of these origins, these sources of wisdom that are not from above, with each one, temptation and the, the pressure to live according to the world or according to the lusts of the flesh grows stronger. Let's take a look at each one of these now. Wisdom that is earthly. What is the wisdom of this day and age? Maybe a few things popped into your mind here. I would suggest that some that are near the top of, of our culture's value, of this age's value, is self or individualism. Let's remember what James is talking about here, that this wisdom is, is the skill of living day to day. It's what is informing our way of living that should be seen and felt by those around us. So according to the world's standards, what is wise is living according to, to me. Yikes. According to my performance, according to my lived experience, it's all about self, self care, self actualization, individual moral relativism. You can choose. You can choose your own morals. This value system is obviously not biblical. Church, we cannot be people of this world living according to its value systems without compromising our commitment to the gospel. Say that again. We cannot be people of this world living according to its value systems without compromising our commitment to the gospel. What happened to James's sorry, to Jesus's words in Matthew 16:24, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The worldly system will cause us day in and day out to be selfish, self-absorbed, and ultimately 
apathetic toward God. Church, may it not be so among us. The second source of wisdom that is not from above is wisdom that is unspiritual or natural. To define this, we'll say it's it's living apart from, from the spirit. It's, it's living according to our own personal wants and desires, the lusts of the flesh. This source of wisdom blooms from our inner being and affects our reasoning and our emotions. It's at this origin where we need to get on our hands and knees and cry out to our Heavenly Father to be changed and to have a transformed heart, mind, and soul. This is the level where we need to battle our own flesh and then invite the Holy Spirit to permeate throughout our being, throughout our mind, will, and emotions. Galatians 5.24 tells us, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. How could we not quote John Owen, who famously said, Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. Church, when was the last time that you prayerfully purged your sinful and fleshly desires from within you? When was the last time that you fell on your knees in intercessory war to crucify your flesh? Maybe it was just a few minutes ago, right before communion. Invite Christ to permeate inside of you and Invade every area of your life. The third source of wisdom that is not from above is demonic in origin. This is James's final source that he mentions here, this way of living, demonic being the complete opposite of wisdom that is from above. Now we have good versus evil. Now, the way that James has characterized these wrong kinds of wisdom highlights his desire to show the stark contrast between the two sources. There is no in-between. There is one or the other. And I think what he's doing here is he's mirroring the language of the Proverbs, which his hearers would have known well. Trying to mirror this, this language of the wise man and the foolish. And now the life conduct of someone who is living from wisdom that is from above, that is rooted in Christ, or the person who is swayed by their fleshly desires, by the worldly values. But church, James is sure not to leave us without an action plan. It actually, it comes in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 7, when he says, Submit to your, sorry, submit yourselves, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He's telling us this so that we will not become victims of the ways of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Submit yourself, give up your control, give up your desire 
for control over your life, over your life circumstances, and come under God's sovereign, providential, grace-filled authority of your life. And then when you have done that, and when the Spirit testifies with your spirit that you are a child of God, then by the power of the Spirit, resist the devil and he will flee from you. It starts with submitting ourselves to God. Friends, this is our deepest need. We've talked about it multiple times already throughout this service, that we must submit to, submit to God. We must confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. Then we will be saved. Romans 10, 9. If you've not made that confession today, I encourage you, don't wait The Lord is standing with open arms, ready to receive you. He desires to be your source, the source of your life, the reason why we live. This and only this, this submission to Christ, is how we are able to live in this world where the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, ready to devour his prey. What is your origin? What's at your source? What are we submitting to, Christ or the world? Church, we should be warned here as as James moves now to showing the effects, the results, what those are if, if our source is contaminated by these wrong kinds of wisdom. Now in verse 16, He's going to return back to these characteristics that he mentioned in verse 14 of his bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. He's going to tell us that if jealousy and selfish ambition are left unaddressed and unconfessed, it will not only impair us, but it will also affect our community. Verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Church, this is our diagnostic tool. Is there disorder in our body? Is there competition or one-upsmanship? Are there fleshly or sinfully motivated practices among us? What dashboard lights are illuminated? The dashboard of our hearts that are indicating that we need maintenance. We must all check our own hearts. Maybe we're the ones who need to take heed to James's command in verse 14 and and be quiet and re-evaluate what is at our source. So I return to my earlier question. When was it? that we last confessed our comfortability with jealousy. Is that something you often confess in your life? Or our friendship with selfish ambition? If it hasn't already, it's going to manifest itself in the outer workings of our church body. How many times do we need to hear about a church leader who's embezzling funds or, or a pastor who's fallen into sexual abuse or how many times do we hear of people who are leaving the church because 
They've been hurt by someone, by those in the church. Change starts with us. Crossroads, this is our wake-up call. Every one of us needs to search our hearts and fall on our knees and confess our sins before God. We need to seek his grace so that we can give grace to one another. James says in chapter 1, verse 21, he gives us this command, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. This is what we need. We need to be rooted in Scripture, God's revealed word to us. Letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in our hearts. It's Colossians three sixteen. It is vitally important that we keep a close watch on the conduct of our lives. Not just for our sake, but for the sake of our community. We're commanded this, or advised this in Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. If sin is left unaddressed and unconfessed, it will not only affect us, but also our community. James now moves to tell us the effects, the fruit of our life that should be seen if we are living from the wisdom that is from above. If our source is Christ and uncontaminated. Verse 17 but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. James has just told us one chapter before that true faith produces good works in the believer. And now, so does heavenly wisdom produce godly behavior, godly lives. For the believer. He's told us what wisdom is not, and now he will tell us what this true heavenly wisdom is. And this list from James, it kind of bears resemblance to the fruit of the Spirit that we find in Galatians. And in the fruit of the Spirit, we can maybe see love as the all encompassing fruit. James is using a similar tactic here where purity is the all-encompassing characteristic of this list. He's not just meaning sexual purity, as we might be programmed to think, and if we read Paul a lot, he uses that phrase, sexual purity. But James is looking at an overarching purity of being, purity of the source, the inability to produce anything sinful or fleshly, anything that is impure. So then the seven characteristics, characteristics that follow are then various aspects of total purity. Let 
We could spend hours trudging through each of these characteristics that James lists, and, and I would encourage you to do so. Do so in your devotions, in your small group time. Work through these characteristics. But I think the main point that James is making here is that the fruit which should be flowing out of us as Christians should stand in stark contrast to the fruit of the wisdom that is not from above. The wisdom of the flesh, the wisdom that is demonic in origin, the wisdom that produces fruits of jealousy and selfish ambition, and ultimately every vile practice. But this wisdom from above, it's, it's not self-centered, it's not jealous and competitive, it's not boastful, but it's humble. It's willing to concede in conversation. It's not domineering. It's willing to rejoice when someone else succeeds. It's not hypocritical. It's genuine. It's sincere. And again, we hear parallels to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Is the fruit that your life is producing, is it different from the fruit of your unbelieving neighbor? Would people say that these qualities resemble your character? Would your spouse or maybe your kids say that this list resembles you? If not, we are pointed toward the source. If anyone lacks wisdom, if anyone lacks this thing that informs our way of life, ask God who will give it to us generously. James closes this section with restating this, the second characteristic that we find in, in this list in verse 18. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Though I may not be from Iowa, I did marry a girl from Iowa. So I know that in order to produce a harvest, year after year, a good harvest, you need sun, rain, fertile, the right fertilizer, good crop rotation, all those type of things to produce a good harvest year after year. This is the climate that's needed in order for things to grow. And here the harvest only comes if we have the climate of peace. Again, another reference that we see James making here to the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Matthew 5, 9. James is reminding and encouraging and exhorting these dispersed Christians and also us of our eternal significance and inheritance. To not be so focused on the temporal things, the things of this world but to stay steadfast in persecution, unwavering in this gospel that we have received. 
this is the climate we need, one that allows for mistakes to be made within our community, one that allows for healthy confrontation that's void of discord and disharmony. One commentator applies this verse in saying, a harmonious fellowship of a believers is the soil out of which grows the whole life that is pleasing to God. We must do the tiring work of tilling the grounds of our own lives in order to reap a harvest that is pleasing to God, not only in our lives, but also in the life of our church. We must do this work. Are you a peacemaker? Are you sowing peace in our church, in your community? If not, go back to the source. Run the diagnostics. Our source must be Christ. Our lives must be unstained from the world around us. Otherwise, we compromise. We compromise our commitment to the gospel. Well, church, I ask us, what is the source of our wisdom? What is it that is informing our way of living? Is our source contaminated by worldly values? By our own fleshly, selfish desires? Or is your origin not in Christ? I urge us all, confess Christ as Lord over our lives, over our current situations, over the current trials and tribulations that you are experiencing in your life each day so that others may see and feel the love of Christ. Let me close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, we confess our need for you. We confess our sins of jealousy, selfish ambition, friendliness with the worldly values around us. Lord, may our lives produce pure fruit, the pure fruit of your Spirit permeating from within us. Thank you for desiring to be the source of our lives. May our love for you, be seen and felt by all those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.